Well, Happy New Year, everybody. It's exciting, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know how many of you, like me, after you've eaten your way through half of Asda, then, you know, decided, right, in the new year. Or you've eaten that enormous meal, but somehow you've managed to pack away three desserts and about 20 chocolates. It's like, oh, where did all that box of chocolates go? <laughs> in my stomach. At that moment, thought, oh, actually, I'm going to give up sugar. Or, you know, after, you know, a gin and tonic or two, think, right, I'm going to have a dry January, me as well. <laughs> and it's quite obvious, isn't it, those physical things where you think, right, 2019, we're going to start off, going to be healthy, do the right things, you know. <laughs> but how many of us really are, you know, have given that same amount of thought and um, got the same passion to kind of do something about our spiritual health. So hopefully, over this sort of time you've had off, you've been thinking about that as well. And I certainly have as well, obviously, because slightly prompted by the fact I had to do this sermon. <laughs> but um, so I'll just give you a little insight into two of my New Year's resolutions to do with spirituality and stuff. So the first one that I want to kind of do is to try and... Um, because I, I did a bit of a looking back over 2018, so I wrote down all the stuff that we did and sort of the highlights, I suppose. And I just, as I was writing it, I just thought, wow, this is amazing. You know, by the way, we should be thankful more often. It's good for us. Um, yeah, so I just wrote these papers. I was like, wow, that's amazing. I'm so, you know, I'm so lucky. Not only do I have an amazing family and friends and job and stuff, but I get to do all this extra stuff as well. You know, I went skiing and it was really amazing. You know, all of these different things. And yet, that sort of description didn't really match up with how I felt during a lot of the year. Do you know what I mean? And actually, because <clears throat> all of us have sort of unresolved issues in our life, don't we? Problems that currently, at this moment in time, aren't resolved. And we can kind of quite often let that rob us of the big picture of the joy that we've got. So that was one of my news resolutions. I wasn't going to... I'm going to try not to let that happen this year. I'm going to be more thankful and try not to let the little things rob us of the big picture. But anyway, um, so that's just, just to give you a bit of an insight. And there was another one, which um, is actually from about this preach, which is from Hebrews 12, which it says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. And so, yeah, so I kind of thought this year, right, I want to be able to learn to handle conflict better and get to sort of... Um, get some really good communication skills, better communication skills, so I can handle that in a, in a better way. So that's two of mine. Hopefully you've had some of yours. Has anyone had any thoughts about their spiritual life and resolution? Well done, John. Great. Well, hopefully after this, you will, <laughs> which would be good. So this is actually sort of an introduction to our new series that we've got, which is called Pursuing Holiness. And it's going to be eight weeks where hopefully we're going to be thinking about how we can become more Christ-like. Because actually, at the end of the day, this is the aim, isn't it? It's our biggest mission in life, is to become more and more Christ-like so we can be transformed from one degree of glory into the next, so that we ourselves become transformed, that we are more and more holy, and that that shows to the world, and they see God, and we can lead people to God as well. So holiness, interesting topic, big Lots of different preconceptions about what that word means, which we're going to look in a bit, bit more detail. But first of all, I'm going to show you a short film because this is really good from um, the Bible Project. Which um, is that ready to run? Great. So it's six minutes, but it's a really good overview, and I'll be back in a minute. You 
probably heard the word holy before, or at least sang it in a church song once or twice. And for most people, this idea is really just connected to being a morally good person. So God is holy because he's morally perfect. Yeah, that is part of it. But in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and more rich. What it's really describing is how God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's the one and only being with the power to make a world full of such beauty and life. And so all these abilities, they make God utterly unique, which is the meaning of the word holy. So a helpful way to think about God's holiness is by using the sun as a metaphor. The sun is unique, at least within our solar system, and it's really powerful. It's the source of all this beautiful life on our planet. And so you could say that the sun is holy. And you can actually take this metaphor even further in that the whole area around the sun is also holy. Yeah, because the closer you get to the sun, the more intense it gets. Yeah, exactly. So that very power and goodness that generates all this life is also dangerous. I mean, the sun, if you get too close, will annihilate you. And in the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness, because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous to you. And not because it's bad, but because it's so good. And so the first time we see this paradox of God's holiness, it's in the story of Moses and the burning bush. So God tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And Moses covers his face in fear, and God says, hey, don't come any closer. It's intense. It's actually that intensity of God's holiness that's explored even more in the stories about Israel's temple, which was the main place where God's holy presence was located. And at the center of the temple was this room called the most holy place. It's the hot spot of God's presence. And whether you're an Israelite living in the land around the temple or a priest working right in the temple, you're in proximity to God's holy presence, which is dangerous. Yeah, this is a problem. So how's it supposed to work? Well, in the Bible, the solution is that you need to become pure. So like being morally pure. Yeah, and that's easy enough to understand. But the Bible spends a lot of time talking about another kind of purity, being ritually pure, which is a state where you separate yourself from anything related to death, like touching things like diseased skin or dead bodies or even certain bodily fluids. All these make you impure. And becoming ritually impure isn't necessarily sinful. What's wrong is waltzing into God's presence when you're in an impure state. And so that's why God gave the Israelites very clear instructions for knowing when they were impure, steps to become pure, so that they could go into the temple again. So that's what the book of Leviticus is about. Right. But it doesn't stop there. This idea keeps developing. So later in the scriptures, we find this really interesting story by a prophet named Isaiah. And he has this crazy vision where he's in the temple and he's right in God's presence. He's totally terrified. Yeah, he knows the rules. He shouldn't even be in there. And he's worried about being destroyed. And then this crazy creature called a seraphim. Yeah, that is a crazy creature. <laughs> totally. So it flies over with a hot coal, and then it sears Isaiah's lips with the coal and says something really weird. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So this burning coal somehow makes Isaiah pure. Yeah, it's remarkable. Because normally, if you touch something impure, it transfers its impurity to you. But now here's this new idea where you have this coal, this very holy and pure object, and it touches Isaiah, and it transfers its purity to him. Isaiah is not destroyed by God's holiness. He's transformed by it. I mean, the implications of this are just huge. But there's one more development, this time from another prophet, Ezekiel. 
And he has this vision where he's standing at the temple and he sees water trickling out from it. And then that water turns into a stream and then it grows into a deep river that starts flowing through the desert, leaving this trail of green trees behind it. And then it flows into the Dead Sea, making everything fresh and alive. So instead of becoming pure first and then going into the temple, here God's holiness comes out from the temple, making things pure and bringing them to life. What does it all mean? So we don't know until we meet this man, Jesus. And he claims that he's fulfilling all of these ancient visions, but in surprising new ways. So Jesus, he went around touching people who are impure, people with skin diseases, a, a woman with chronic bleeding or dead people. And when he touches them, their impurity should transfer over to Jesus. But instead, Jesus's purity transfers to them and actually heals their bodies. Jesus is like that holy coal in Isaiah's vision. Right. And Jesus claimed that he was the human embodiment of God's own holiness and that he and his followers were now God's temple so that through them, God's holy presence would go out into the world and bring life and healing and hope. And so this is why Jesus described his followers as having streams of living water flowing out of them. So this is our part of the story where we find ourselves now, but where's this all heading? So the last pages of the Bible end with a final vision about God's holiness. And this time it's by a guy named John. And in his vision, we see the whole world made completely new. The entire earth has become God's temple. And Ezekiel's river is there, flowing out of God's presence, immersing all of creation, removing all impurity, and bringing everything back to life. We believe the Bible is one complete narrative, so we're making these videos. <laughs> Explains it pretty, pretty good, doesn't it? It's pretty mind-blowing. So I thought that video was actually a really great introduction to the whole series of holiness, because in there are different ideas that we're going to look in more detail into. So the idea of Isaiah 6, Tim's going to cover that later. Um, Jesus coming, I'm going to do that in a few weeks' time as well. So that just gives you a, an overview for the whole series, which I think is really, really helpful for us. So I'm just going to focus today really on like what holiness is and our holiness. So holy, holiness, it's not, we don't really use it very much in English, but in the Bible, it's in the Bible over 550 times. And actually, it's quite a hard term to get your head around holiness, isn't it? But actually, because it is God's defining character and it's what we are called to become, actually, this is really important that we understand this. And as the sort of film said, on first thought, a lot of people, if you say, oh, what's holiness? They might just think, oh, you know, holier than thou or, you know, um, just set apart from evil, like set apart from any wrongdoing. And that's kind of like, that is true. And that's kind of the first definition of the word holy. But actually, there's something bigger and more beautiful about the word holy because you, don't, you, can't, you can't just describe somebody or something or God through the negative, like through what he isn't, for example. So you wouldn't describe me as, well, she isn't blonde, she isn't a man, and she isn't very quiet. You know, that, they're, all, they're all true things. And in the same way, God is holy, holiness. He isn't, he has no wrong in him. There is no sin to be found. But that's just half the picture and actually not a very good picture. So the other part of the definition, so in... Um, the Greek, could you bring that one up? So in the Greek and the Hebrew, 
it means different things and it means unique and set apart. So there's two aspects to it. Yes, set apart from evil. Yes, set apart from anything that's wrong, but also unique. And this uniqueness of God is the exciting bit of holiness as well, which is about his love and his power and his beauty and that uniqueness of God, which is why the film described him as the sun, because it's all powerful. It's radiating out of him this beauty and this power, which is amazing. So I've kind of got a bit of a description up here, which is the next one. So it's not holiness, the fullness of the meaning is not only to be set apart from sin and be morally pure, but also through that holiness, we're actually able to participate in the transcendent, in the beauty and in the power and in the love of God, which is an amazing invitation, actually, when we think about it. So what about us? So as we saw in the film there, the two earliest places in the Bible that the word holy comes into being, the first one was on the Sabbath. So in Genesis 2, 3, God sets apart one day of the week to make it holy for him. So it's set apart for him. And he has touched that time and made it holy and sanctified it. And as a result of God making that holy, different behavior then should follow. So you don't do any work on that day. Hooray! (laughs) So that's the different behavior. And the second time that um, it's mentioned is, we saw there, and Moses and the burning bush in Ezekiel. So God's presence comes to earth in the form of this burning bush, and the earth that surrounds this bush becomes holy because God's touched it. He's set it apart. This piece of ground is set apart and made holy for God. And as a result, different behavior then follows. So Moses has to take his shoes off to signify that this is holy ground. And then as we saw, Jesus came along and he made it possible for us to become temples of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to go into that in more depth later. But I just love the point in that video where you realize that Jesus is power. So he's not affected by the people that he touches Nothing rubs off on him. No impurity or sin rubs off on him. In fact, it's the other way around because God's power is all-consuming. And whoever he touches, he makes pure. And it's the same idea, isn't it? That God is pure and whatever he touches. So, and then when Jesus comes, we become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I think when you watch something like that and you realize that in the Old Testament, God was kind of confined in a way to the, like self-confined to the holy of the holies. But actually, through Jesus, through his death, we become temples of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So we are now, if we believe in Jesus and we are touched by Jesus, we become pure, we become set apart, we become holy. We are able to take part in God's uniqueness, in his beauty, in his love. Amazing, we're able to access the transcendent. 
power of the living God. Wow. What a privilege. Amazing. Like, that's the good news. <laughs> and it's through nothing that we can do on our own. We couldn't possibly do that. But we see through Jesus' power that he makes us clean. It says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and has freed us from sin. And then in Colossians 1, which is almost my favorite verse in the Bible. <laughs> Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Wow. Really? Us? <laughs> we stand before God right here, right now holy and blameless, without a single fault. This is our standing in front of God. This is our position in front of God. This is our inheritance when we accept Jesus and he touches us. And yet we also, that is like a huge truth. And yet we know that we're not, our behavior doesn't necessarily match up with our position, with our inheritance, with our identity. In the same way that a prince who has inherited the whole land, who has kingship potentially, doesn't necessarily behave in the way that they should. They could, if they chose, be hope, you know, go and live and be really poor or whatever and not take advantage of the full inheritance they've got. So can we. We are holy, we are made pure, but the choice is up to us for our behavior to match that um, identity that we have. But, how, but it's kind of that question, isn't it? How can these, these two sort of seemingly opposing truths be true? How can we be holy and without a single fault and yet shout and be annoyed when you drop two pans, uh, the same pan of soup twice in the kitchen? <laughs> The first time just fell out right out of the fridge. I'm like, no. And the second time, me and Eve had a bit of a, oh, you've got it, you've got it. No, I've got it. No, oh, no, it's gone everywhere. <laughs> and you have this kind of moments of where you just think, wow, I am seriously not holy. <laughs> and we're very aware on a daily basis, aren't we, the fact that we're not, our behavior is not matching up to our identity in Christ. So how can those two things be true? I kind of read over the... Um, had this article over the Christmas is from I don't know how many of you read the Middolts. There, it's in the Sunday Telegraph magazine. They are really funny. These two women. So it is actually kind of what I'm talking about. They're talking about Middolts' guide to double lives. We are all more than just one woman, right? But it's not as simple as being many things at once. We can display actively opposing qualities. So they've got a masterpiece and a work in progress. You're magnificent, such wisdom, not to mention your so original thought. And the thing about Josie or her, it, you know, she's so creative, she's so brilliant. And yet, <laughs> you're also a bit, hmm, rough around the edges, reactive perhaps, envious maybe, petty occasionally, rageful often, <laughs> or in control and a mess. Just look at you parallel parking while taking a conf conference call and turning the oven on thanks to your newfangled app thing. Can this be the same person who jarred their back stepping off the pavement and now can't get into the shower and is relying on baby wipes and dry shampoo and the hope that everyone who is too busy to notice the white residue on your scalp? Of course it can. 
Or what about this one? Amusing and dull. You're hilarious. You have such an unusual and incisive take on things, and everyone is laughing, and this is great. Until everything you say is slightly wrong, and you seem to be talking people through your train times and explaining how real ale is brewed. And suddenly, you notice that nobody is asking you any open-ended questions. <laughs> I just love that. It's so true, isn't it? You just see yourself in so many of those things. And there's lots more. But yeah, it's a true thing, isn't it? We are holy, and yet we are being made holy too. So we are holy. That's our position. But we've also got behavioral holiness. So let's just take my analogy of the lampshade. So, to help us like visually understand this a bit more, when we become Christians, when Jesus touches us, the energy from the power grid, the huge, like vast energy that there is, when we say yes to God, we flick the switch and the light comes on in our spirit. Oh, I should have done this the other way around. Right. So that's the light. However, it's there. But quite often, our behavior kind of masks the light. So our salvation and our position is holy. The light is on. But you might not tell the difference if there's too many of these black things covering it all up. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Oh, I've got a wonky lampshade. That's not helping, is it? <laughs> anyway. So yeah, so as you become more and more holy, your behavior, I need a beautiful assistant, Eve, can you come and help me? <laughs> just, can you just hold that so it doesn't fall over? Oh yeah, fire hazard as well, the danger of God, the holiness of God, there we go. <laughs> so yeah, so as God highlights more and more things to us, maybe our impatience, and we kind of work on that, maybe that disappears a bit more. Or maybe um, our anger problem. <laughs> we try and work on that a bit more. Or maybe trying to have grace for people. That kind of comes off. Until more and more you can actually see the holiness of God is revealed more and more. So that, I hope that explains a little bit of how those, both those things can be true. That we are holy inherently, but that our behavior needs to match up to that. <laughs> Great. So this verse actually explains it really well from 2 Corinthians 3.18. So it says, so for all of us who have had that veil removed. So this is talking about when the veil in the Holy of Holies was split in two. And when Moses had a veil over his face because he couldn't see the magnificence of God. But here, Jesus said, because of Jesus, with the veil has been removed and we can see God. Um, we can reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. As these things get removed, we are transformed into his glorious image until all anyone can see is light and beauty and goodness and radiance shining out of us like a powerful force. That's the vision. <laughs> That's what we're aiming for, that we would go into all the world and be this powerful force radiating goodness, not only set apart from God, set apart free from sin and holy, but actually accessing the transcendent, unique qualities of God as well. Love, beauty, power, that we would be the powerful force wherever we are. We would be the sun 
in our community, in our family, in our work situation, radiating and causing warmth and light. Men. <laughs> yeah. And the Bible talks about this, the fact that, yes, we are holy. The other verses, which kind of are slightly opposite based on this, 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Our behavioral holiness has to match up to our positional holiness. 1 Peter 14. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways. Because you didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do. You must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. God wants us to reflect his beauty into the world. It needs, the world certainly needs his love and his power and his radiance. <clears throat> so, yeah, like I said before, when we say the word holiness, we might have conjured up images of nuns or headscarfed women or martyrs perhaps or, I don't know, people having holier-than-thou attitudes. But actually, you know, maybe a whole list of prohibitions like don't drink, don't smoke, don't swear, don't do this, don't do that, and all of that. And that sort of list changes whichever group you happen to be a part of. But actually, what we're talking about here, what the Bible's talking about, is actually, yes, that's a part of it, to be holy and set apart. But the more exciting thing is to be a part of God's power and his uniqueness and his beauty. And that's what we should be aiming towards. Yes, to be holy, because he is holy. To be set apart, but also able to participate and show his love and his beauty into the world. And it's an amazing Actually, it's an invitation to be holy, to walk with God, and to access these things for him. But it's not easy. It is a journey. And um, Jerry Bridges, who wrote the book, The Pursuit of Holiness, thinks our three biggest challenges for us to live a holy life are, the first one, that he thinks that our attitude towards sin can sometimes be more self-centered than God-centered, i.e. we're more concerned about our success over overcoming something. So we might think, right, this year I'm going to pray more, for example, which was great. So that can all be your new habit of holiness this year, get into a habit. But then actually, we're kind of really concerned about our success in that, or we really think, right, I'm really not going to I don't know, swear anymore. And we become so concerned about that, our success in it, that we're not actually as bothered about what, what it's doing to God and how it's grieving God. So he thinks it's because we're actually quite self-centered in our quest for holiness as opposed to God-centered in our quest for holiness. And that can, that switch in your brain and actually realizing the effect this has on your life, on other people around you, on God and, yeah, could make a difference. He, the second thing he says is that we misunderstand living by faith, that because of the gospel of grace, the fact that we are made holy, we can just sit back and just say, oh, oh well, I don't need to do any, I don't need to put any effort in, I don't need to work at this, you know, because Jesus is going to do it for me, he's going to make me more and more holy, or, you know, I'm holy anyway, whereas actually the Bible does talk about um, putting effort in 
and working hard at becoming holy. You've actually got to persevere, you know, create a goal, persevere, work at it, find ways to be holy. 2 Peter 3 says, and so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. So that kind of means that day-to-day, minute-by-minute working at something to sort of curb certain reactions maybe, to control your mind, to control your thought life, putting in some work to become holy. He also thinks that we um, don't take some sin that seriously, that we kind of categorize sins in a certain way and that we kind of brush away little things that we don't think are important that actually could make quite a big difference to our holiness and it's having more taking sin a bit more seriously I think and the impact that it has not only on our lives on the heart of God but all the people around us too so yeah you could ask God this year to sharpen your conscience to even the little things and how um, the little foxes can ruin the vine which is a, a bible verse that Solomon said so little things that can kind of creep in and actually get bigger. We need to be careful about those things as well. So, so in summary, Jesus has touched us. And through his life and death, he has made a way for us to be holy, to be set apart. Our very lives are sacred. That's amazing, isn't it? That's the good news of God, the grace of God. We've been made holy through no effort of our own. This is our position before God, that we are holy. But when anything is made holy, time, places, people are made holy, set apart for God, certain behaviors should follow that, like taking off your shoes for Moses or like not working on the Sabbath. Behavior follows when you've been made holy. So God is asking us, for behavior to follow his touch. He's touched us. He's made us holy. And certain behaviors which he has given us instructions in the Bible of how to be holy and what behaviors aren't holy. So the fruit of the Spirit will gradually become more evident and more visible in our lives because we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit are love, joy, peace, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, patience. (laughs) All of those things should become more and more evident in our lives. Those behaviors should follow when we've been touched by God. And these things aren't all those things that block those things will gradually come away. But we know, don't we, that God, you know, when we come to God, we've probably got quite a lot of these sort of things happening really in our lives. And he's gracious and he only asks us to do one thing at a time. Quite often he'll challenge us on one certain thing and I bet I wouldn't bet you if you're listening that God is challenging you on something now what is the one thing so I've mentioned a couple of things I'm going to be trying and working on what are your couple of things that you feel that God's challenging you on to become more holy this year so I want to challenge you to go away and to think and pray today and say okay God what are the couple of things that you think are the most important things for me to deal with this year Because that's what it's about. This is us being transformed into the glory and the power of God so we can be a powerful force 
for the kingdom of God on this earth. God will obviously still use us, whatever, but the more and more power that radiates from us, from this holiness. So will you commit in 2019 yourself to the pursuit of holiness, to work with the Holy Spirit within you, to change you and transform you so you reflect more and more the holiness of God. I'm just going to pray this over us. The the Apostle Paul ended his letter to Thessalonians, and I'm going to end this too like this. Now, may the peace of God make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. I'm going to read it again. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Amen.